0: Hello everyone and welcome to Surveillance Report 46, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week. We'll be talking a little bit about Windows 11, some news from both Brave and Mozilla, a couple of updates on some political stories, and much more. I am Nathan from The New Oil. Henry is away this week and will return next week. Real quick, I just want to remind you that Surveillance Report is community supported. You can support us in a variety of ways like the merch store, Monero, Patreon, and this support is what allows us to stay ad free and free from commercial influence. So thank you so much and consider checking that out. Alright, let's jump right into our data breaches section. We're going to start off with CVS, who accidentally leaked a billion website records. This is the result of an unsecured database. Take a shot if you're one of the listeners who followed me from my old podcast, you'll get that joke. Fortunately, these records mainly seem to include searches from cbs.com and cbshealth.com. However, as is often the case with this kind of stuff, this could potentially be anonymized, especially depending on other search terms. For example, for some reason, a lot of users also searched their email addresses. Um, they, The people that were interviewed in this article think that maybe people were confusing the search bar for a sign-in bar. I don't really use CVS's website, so I don't know if that's a reasonable mistake to make or not. Uh, I'm going to quote the article because they summed it up really well. They said, The findings also showed how tracking website use, even where no obvious personal data is being collected, can be a risk for companies with a large online presence. This is why some of the more hardcore members of the privacy community say you should shut off telemetry, even when it's anonymized, non-invasive, and it's only used for uh, you know improving the product. That's totally fine, but it is kind of a risk, and you should be aware of that. Our next story, the voter records of 107 million Americans is sold on the dark web. Um, I'm not convinced that this is a breach, per se, and I'll explain why in a minute. So researchers found the voter records of 107 million Americans being sold for as little as $10. Uh, Voter records in the U.S., and I'm sure in most other countries, include really sensitive information. In this case, the records included voter ID, full name, physical address, previous addresses, dates of birth, gender, and citizenship citizenship status excuse me some of them also included if you previously voted and when most of them will record what election you last voted in but it doesn't say how you voted because they don't know that's the whole point they're anonymized now the reason i say i'm not sure if this was a leak is because most states have digitized their voter records and are readily posted online so i don't know if this was a leak or just a simple scrape you know somebody went through with a bot and just scraped all this stuff online Uh, If you live in the U.S. and you choose to vote, most states do have a form that will allow your voter record to not be posted online. Um, I believe Florida has that, California, Texas. um, Many states have it. Some of them you have to justify why that is, which is kind of stupid. Keep in mind, none of them will wipe your record completely unless you have a court order and those are usually only assigned in specific circumstances, like for example, if you work in law enforcement or if you have a documented history of a stalker, something like that. Unfortunately, that's one of the flaws of our voting system. Our next story, Taiwanese chip maker ADATA, Adata, I don't know how that's pronounced, I'm sorry, suffered a 700 gigabyte data leak in a ransomware attack. A set of 13 archives was stolen. The data is believed to contain financial information, non-disclosure agreements, and other details. The screenshot they posted in the article, the ransomware attackers Ragnar Locker, they claimed that this also included passwords in some of the databases. So it's hard to know for sure because the ransomware attackers posted this on Mega and this was reported to Mega who took a look and determined that this violated their terms of service. So they shut down all those folders so we don't really know what the data was or how many how much of it was downloaded by how many people so hopefully we'll learn more about that and we will keep you updated if we do a fertility clinic in the u.s state of georgia has disclosed the breach of patient information after a ransomware attack so this affected around 38,000 patients it included medical information and other data such as social security numbers, names, addresses, lab results, and more. This was accessed by the cyber criminals during a ransomware attack that lasted from April to June 7th. They didn't say when in April, so I don't know if this was end of April, or early April. The ransom was likely paid, although that was not confirmed because the criminals claimed that they deleted the data and the company didn't like the company went looking for it, they hired someone to check, they didn't find it online, but they are informing patients just, you know, out of caution. And our last story is just a quick update to a story we've been talking about. We've been talking about the Irish healthcare ransomware because it's been in the news and it's been relevant to several other stories for quite some time. Uh, A while back, Henry mentioned that ransomware has long lasting effects that even if you pay the ransom or even if you don't pay the ransom and even if you manage to recover the data that there can still be fallout that lasts for months and months and this story highlights that it says the human cost of ransomware disruption to irish health service will continue for months so for those who don't remember or miss this story the ransomware gang who was behind this attack for reasons unknown eventually gave over the decryption key even though ireland didn't pay up Uh, My personal conspiracy theory is that ransomware's been too hot in the headlines lately, and they were just like, whoa, take the key, and we're going to lay low. But anyways, uh, Ireland has the key, and they have been decrypting it. They've got about 70% of the system decrypted so far, but even with the key, it's been really slow going, and it's just, you know, it's going to last for a while, and they've got most of the system up and running, but there's still some people that are affected, and I believe they mentioned, like, x-ray appointments, and yeah, it just, you know, this stuff is never just one and done, or you pay the ransom, and now you're finished, like this lasts a while. All right, let's move into companies. We have a couple big stories this week, and we're gonna start with kind of a sad story. AWS welcomes Wicker to the team. There's a popular encrypted messenger called Wicker. It has been purchased by Amazon. I liked Wicker when I checked it out, to be totally honest. Um, it you know it didn't require any personal information to sign up, like it didn't require an email, a phone number, or anything like that. Uh, it had disappearing messages. It worked on a username. Like, it just kind of checked almost all my boxes. It was a really cool messenger. Unfortunately, it's been on a bit of a downward spiral the last few years. Uh, the first thing I was made aware of was Michael Basil, if you listen to his podcast, which I totally recommend, uh, the Privacy, Security, and OSINT show. Michael Basil, uh about a year or two ago, he mentioned that he was just doing some routine, curious digging around, and he noticed that Wicker was actively pinging Microsoft and a couple other companies and was sending metadata. And he tried to get in touch with Wicker and be like, hey, you know, can, can you explain this? What's this about? And Wicker never got back to him. So he finally just like, well, until they decide to get back to me, I'm going to stop recommending them. Uh, the next thing that I noticed was I got a military contract, which isn't really an issue per se. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit sus, I guess. And now we have the nail in the coffin. Wicker has been full on purchased by Amazon. So, technically, this does not impact the security of Wicker, you know, just the same way that Signal uses uh, Microsoft and, I believe, Google servers as part of their infrastructure. Technically, Signal is still secure because of the the architecture of the app and the way it's designed. This is true of Wicker as well. However, given that Amazon is one of, if not the most, data-hungry and invasive companies out there, the fact that Wicker has already been accused of phoning home in the past and... You know, I, I think it's safe to say that for us privacy folks, we should probably move on from Wicker, which, again, is too bad. I really liked Wicker, and I'm sad to see them go this route. If anyone works for Wicker or knows anyone who works for Wicker and, you know, they, they want to submit a rebuttal as to why they are still secure and why us privacy folks should still consider using them, I'm here for it. I, I'm totally open to that. Shoot me an email, but... Yeah, at this point in time, I think it's time to move on. Our next story is going to be about Microsoft and Windows 11. So last week, Windows 11 allegedly leaked. Since then, Microsoft has formally announced it publicly and they're hyping it up. They're talking about all the different features. There's uh, not much for us privacy people to go on because obviously Microsoft isn't going to come out and be like, by the way, it's going to call home 10,000 times a day or, you know, whatever the case may be. So we're kind of having to parse through all this and figure it out on our own. So far the biggest news we have in terms of privacy and things that we should be aware of from a privacy perspective is that allegedly Windows 11, at very least the home edition, will require an online Microsoft account. There may be a workaround that we don't know about yet. For example, with Windows 10, you can disconnect the internet when you're installing it and you can complete the setup with a local account and just continue on with your life and it's totally fine. Windows 11 may be vulnerable to the same trick or it may refuse to finish setup until you connect. We'll keep you updated. I personally, I do use Windows strictly for production and gaming and I will install this as soon as I can just so that I can let you guys know about the process and how it works and and any potential workarounds we might have. I see in the notes here that Henry is calling me a fake privacy advocate for using Windows, but hey man, at least I only use it for production and gaming. And it's not my daily driver. Cough, cough, Mac. Moving on. Okay, so we have a few more details from Apple. Or not from Apple, but we have a few more details about Apple's private relay feature. Apple is introducing this new feature in the near future called private relay, which is kind of like a basically a two-hop VPN. And the idea is it's, you know, just like a VPN. It's supposed to protect your IP address from uh, websites you're visiting and stuff like that. Apple says that they're using trusted partners, quote, unquote, and those are the proxies. So when you use private relay, your iPhone connects to a trusted proc, uh, a trusted partner or two of them, whatever. It does its little two hop thing and then it goes to the website. Well, it turns out that these trusted partners include Akami, which I believe is from Oracle, but I could be wrong about that, Fastly and Cloudflare. And those last two within the last year have both had outage issues and Cloudflare is already Pretty controversial in the privacy community for a number of reasons. So, um, yeah, just something to be aware of. If you were really excited about this feature, um, yeah, just know know the risks and know that that's where your data is going to be transmitting through. Anyways, let's talk about Google. Google is delaying their third-party cookie blocking until 2023. Long story short, we've been talking a ton about Flock. I know we beat it into the ground. It's Google's attempt to replace the third-party cookie and and create a more privacy respecting ad model. We talked, I think it was last week or the week before about how it just doesn't work at all. Advertisers are already finding ways to work around it. Long story short, Google is in the middle of a couple of antitrust lawsuits in the EU. They're being accused of being a monopoly. So as a result of those lawsuits, Google has decided they're gonna delay rolling out Flock and fully doing away with third party cookies until 2023. I'm not sure how that's supposed to make them less of a monopoly, but whatever. Moral of the story, just get off Chrome. Our next story is a real quick one. It's from Samsung. Samsung is expected to announce a smartwatch on Monday, I think. Yeah, Monday. Again, this is just real quick. They're teaming up with Google. Last week, we talked about how Facebook is trying to roll out their own smartwatch. I think we're just seeing more companies push into wearables as an attempt to gather data without having to compete in the smartphone market because that's already a very competitive market. Like I think we mentioned a few like month or two ago that LG is actually quitting the smartphone market. It's just hard to compete there. So everybody's like, "Hey, how can we gather data without that competition?" Wearables, watches and glasses and you know, mostly watches, but I'm sure they'll come up with more stuff sooner or later. And our last company story comes from a company called ID.me. This is a company that uses a combination of biometrics and official government paperwork to verify identities in order to prevent fraud. Well, numerous unemployment claimants are publicly complaining that ID.me's facial recognition system sucks and it keeps denying their claims even though they are them. Just a reminder, facial recognition and other, you know, surveillance technology like that, it's coming into our daily lives and whether you think it's good or not, it's just not ready. Like, if you think... This is a good thing like facial recognition, it makes life easier. It's not ready for it. And if you think this is a bad thing, this is just another reason it's bad. All right, let's move into research. We're going to start off with an article that says why mimicking a device is becoming almost impossible. This is an article about spoofing and how it's the little details that give you away. And it's it's kind of hard to to really get a snapshot of it, but especially if you're an advanced reader who, you know, we talked about a uh, user agent spoofing last week. And if you're really into that kind of stuff, I definitely recommend you give this article a read because they highlight little things that make total sense, like, oh, that makes sense, but you would never think, like, this can totally undo your device spoofing. So definitely give that a read if you're in that tier of advanced usership. Our second story, the US ranks second in the world for employee surveillance. Again, this is another short research story. Oddly, Sweden was number one. I would not have expected that. I honestly thought it was going to be the UK, but they're not even in the top three. I think uh, when they say Norway was number three or something like that. Weird. Our next article, this is a new type of theoretical attack using wearables, cough, cough, Samsung. So this is a new type of attack called person re-identification or PRI. And it uses, quote, HIPAA-compliant, publicly available data from health wearables to establish the identity of individuals from heart rate, breathing, and hand gesticulation, among others, unquote. The reason this works is because HIPAA laws currently do not cover raw sensor data. So HIPAA HIPAA laws are laws here in the U.S., um, maybe other countries, I'm not sure, but here in the U.S. And they basically say, like, okay, if you're going to store medical information digitally, here's the requirements. And if you're gonna store any kind of medical information, digital or not, here's the requirements on who can access it and how. Unfortunately, technology always outpaces legislation and I would not expect sensor data to be covered under HIPAA laws anytime soon. Our next story is about researchers hacking ATMs. Uh, So there's a thing called near-field communication or NFC. Some of you may uh, be aware of it, some of you may even use it. A researcher named Josep Rodriguez or Josep, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, built an Android app that allowed his smartphone to mimic those same signals from credit cards and exploit the firmware that uses NFC. He was able to crash point of sale systems, collect credit card data, change transaction values, and more. So just showing off that our systems are vulnerable and need to be fixed. For now, I would say the best defense, always paying cash. All right, let's move into our politics section. We're gonna start off in California, who is rolling out a digital vaccine passport, but don't call it a passport. Sorry, that's in the headline. (laughs) Basically, California is rolling out a centralized database for a list of people who have been vaccinated. They're, it's semantics, really. They're refusing to call it a passport. Because if they call it a passport, then companies can legally use it to like refuse to serve people and refuse to hire people and stuff like that. So they're not calling it a passport. It's just a database that people can access to see if someone's been vaccinated because they're trying to discourage companies from using it for discrimination, which I guess they mean well, but you know, arose by any other name, man. All right, let's talk about ransomware again. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of a weird story. Some lawyers have noticed that ransomware payments might be tax deductible. And this is kind of a conflicting message because the U.S. overwhelmingly, like along with cybersecurity experts in other countries, everybody universally agrees don't pay the ransom. Because if you pay the ransom, it just makes people keep doing this because it's profitable. But this is kind of sending a conflicting message because if you pay the ransom, then you can write it off as a business loss or business expense. And that, you know, again, that's sending a conflicting message because now you kind of make all your money back for paying the ransom. Anyways, this is not an official law or guidance. Like, nobody came out and said, like, hey, by the way, these are tax deductible. It's more like tax lawyers have just kind of noticed, like, you know, I'm pretty sure technically we could write this off. Because, again, you know, technology outpaces legislation. And legislation has never really taken a stance on uh, ransomware and payments and whether or not those are business expense or even criminal I, I think the FBI is threatened to make it criminal, but yeah, just interesting times we live in. Our next story is, I'm gonna try to make this a really quick update. Um, I, I know I've covered this story before. It was either on this podcast or my old one, but there was a high school cheerleader who came home and was just having a bad day, which I'm sure we've all been there, and posted on Snapchat, and it was riddled with profanity. She was saying things like F the school, F cheer, F everything, F softball, I think she said. Just, you know, pissed off and venting. Well, someone from the school saw this Snapchat and took her to court. And thankfully the Supreme Court was not completely insane and decided in an eight to one ruling that the school had no right to try and censor her and that she was entitled to her free speech. And it was totally okay for her to post that. I personally, I agree with the judge who publicly wrote the ruling. And his name is Stephen Breyer. And he said, it might be tempting quote, it might be tempting to dismiss the student's words as unworthy of robust First Amendment protections discussed herein, but sometimes it is necessary to protect the superfluous in order to preserve the necessary, unquote. And I really wanted to share this for that. I I think that's an important lesson that we all need to remember. Sometimes it is necessary to protect the superfluous in order to preserve the necessary. Sometimes the little things that don't matter or you think don't matter can set the groundwork and pave the way for things that do matter later on. All right, we got one more good news update. Uh, We've talked in the past about Baltimore's 24-7 spy plane, which I repeatedly compare to the movie Winter Soldier because that's really what it was. This has now been ruled by the, I believe, Fourth Circuit Court. Yes, Fourth Circuit Court has ruled that this is a violation of the Fourth Amendment. So this is no longer legal. They can't do that. They can't just put a plane up there 24-7 and spy on everybody. This violates the Fourth Amendment. Baltimore was retiring the program anyways, so there's kind of some like... Why are we even taking this to court? But I'm glad this got taken to court and ruled this way because this creates a precedent for anyone who tries this in the future elsewhere or maybe Baltimore tried to revive it somewhere. Technically, this ruling is still open to appeal, so we'll see if they bother. If they do, we will keep you updated. Okay, let's move overseas to the EU where the courts have ruled that ISPs can be forced to hand over some customer data depending on the circumstances. This is weirdly a story of an ISP defending the user for once. There's a fight going on between a major porn production company and an ISP. And the company is basically saying that people are pirating crap tons of our movies and costing us a lot of money and we need their data. And the ISP is saying that this is overbroad and it's an invasion of privacy and they don't have a right to that. So the ISP has basically said, the data can be handed over in a way that is, quote, justified, proportionate, and not abusive, unquote. So, again, this case is not over. That's just the the court saying, like, well, you do have to hand over data as long as it meets this criteria. So, like I said, now everybody has to go back. They have to talk amongst themselves, figure out, you know, the the company is going to have to argue that this is not abusive and it is justified and proportionate and the ISP is going to have to argue no it is abusive and it's not justified and proportionate so yeah anyways I'm sure we will see more of that in the future and we will keep you updated. Our next story goes to France and this is a surprising one but I'm I'm happy for it. Uh, this is another privacy win. So a Parisian judicial court has charged four executives from Nexet Technologies for the software's role in human rights abuses in Libya and Egypt. And I found this story really interesting because often on surveillance report, we cover stories about how surveillance tech companies, usually from the West, are knowingly selling their products to oppressive regimes. You know, they, they kind of seem to have this attitude of like, we don't care what you use it for. You got, you got the credit, like you got, you got the money. We'll, we'll sell it to you. Cool. This is the first time that we're seeing someone actually hold them accountable and say like, no, you, you do have to pay attention who you sell it to and what they use it for and, You know, the bottom line is not the end-all be-all. So this could potentially have an impact in in other businesses and countries depending on how this shakes out. So we'll keep an eye on that. There is a call to action against surveillance-based advertising. Over 50 organizations and companies have come together to call for a ban on surveillance advertising in both the EU and the US. It's like a one-page letter. You can feel free to check it out. The second page is all, uh, second and third page, I think, actually, is all just a list of the different companies that have signed this letter. And our last story is about Australian law enforcement and the issues they seem to be having with data destruction. So there was a report, I guess it was like an internal kind of report, that said that many Australian police organizations and departments did not destroy information in a timely manner. So, you know, police will collect information and then either the case will be dropped or they'll realize like, oh, this isn't the person we're looking for. Or, you know, for whatever reason, that information, that data is no longer relevant and should not be kept. And in, uh, in a lot of cases, police keep the data longer than is reasonable. In, specifically, in eight cases, they pointed out, they said the delay lasted as long as five years. This is why we encourage privacy. Like, uh, obviously, we always say over and over again, don't break the law, don't be a criminal. But you never know. We've also talked about like geofence warrants, for example. And you never know when something that is completely out of your control or completely coincidental, you just happen to be jogging past a building one day and now you're involved in uh, uh, an investigation. And even when you get cleared, that data may get held on. And it's not just police, it's companies in general. You have no guarantee that whoever holds that data, whether it's police or Google or Mozilla, you don't know if they're going to act ethically with it and you don't know if they're going to delete it I think we talked a couple weeks ago about how one time I applied for a job and I got the job and they emailed me the new hire paperwork and it was still filled out with the previous person's information, like uh, like his social security number, his bank card or his bank routing numbers, his home address, everything, and like. I'm an ethical person, I deleted it and I emailed them back and I was like, hey, just so you know, you sent me this other guy's info and I deleted it. Can you send me a clean copy so I can fill out? But like, you don't know that the other person, like somebody else may not do that. Somebody else may be like, oh, well, I'm gonna hold on to this for future reference. You, you don't know, you never know. This is why we encourage privacy. It's better to not let them get that data in the first place so they can't abuse it. Okay, let's move into our free and open source software section. We have a couple of big stories. We'll start with Brave because we'll go in alphabetical order brave search beta is now publicly available that's pretty much all there is to it uh brave has been trying to put together their own search engine and this is kind of a big deal because even privacy respecting search engines like startpage Google, duckduckgo crx all of them basically just are proxies for like google or bing or whoever and uh i think yasi or i don't know how that's pronounced. I think they're technically independent, but at that point you're basically self-hosting a web crawler, and it's really slow and it's not very good. So now we have another option, Brave. Um, <laughs> I wish Henry was here so he could weigh in on this because I know he loves Brave. Brave attempts, or the Brave search will attempt to use their own results. They will use their own context-based algorithms, so uh, kind of like how DuckDuckGo, they'll give you ads based on what you searched that particular time. They don't track your searches. They just say oh, you searched for uh, bowling balls in Chicago, Illinois. Okay, well, here's ads for bowling balls on Amazon, and here's ads for, uh, you know, bowling lanes in Chicago. Like, Brave is kind of going to do the same thing. For the time being, they will supplement their results with other sources so that they can be more robust and more effective, but as they continue to grow their, their index and their own web crawlers, they will try to phase those out. Personally, I do have a couple of questions about their their service. Uh, they do claim they don't keep logs, they claim they don't track you. They said something about a transparency score to basically let you know when they're pulling from those other sources. Uh, personally, I was a little unclear on that. It, maybe I just didn't understand the wording. There was also something about using your browser data to rank results, like your browser history. I, I'm also curious how that works and that, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm curious about it. But um, I've used it myself a couple times just to kind of test it out. So far, it seems pretty good. The results are pretty decent. I Admittedly, I haven't done any like real deep, you know, research or anything with it. But uh, so far, it's okay. If you use the Brave browser, then you can just go to your settings and change it to the Brave beta search or Brave search beta, whatever it's called. If you're not a Brave user, but you're still interested in trying this out for yourself, I believe the link is search.brave.com or something like that. On the other side of the privacy browser wars, we have Firefox, who is going to begin testing sponsors on default homepage and new tab pages. I also have questions about this one, but first let me explain. So Firefox is testing out having paid tiles. So you open up a new tab and uh, most of the time it'll display tiles. And personally, I have that shut off. I just, I have a clean blank page. I don't want any crap on there. If you have the tiles turned on, Brave will start showing you paid tiles. So here's some things to know. First off, data will only be transmitted when a user clicks on a tile. So, if you don't click on the tile, there's no data transmitted, there's no privacy abuse, according to Mozilla. And whatever data is clicked on is anonymized. Although, I'm I'm sure you guys know how we feel about anonymized data. It can usually be de-anonymized. Alright, so here's my questions. Mozilla says that they will be displaying ads that are useful to Firefox users. That's the quote, quote, useful to Firefox users, unquote. Uh, First of all, what is that metric? How do you define what is useful? Like, is it useful overall? Like, you know, generally, these are the types of people who use Firefox, so this is what we're going to show. Or is it, uh, are they going to like track users now to determine what would be useful? I don't think they're going to do that, but I would still like them to be a little more transparent by what they mean by useful to Firefox users second Mozilla only gets paid when a user clicks on a tab that kind of confuses me because like I don't I don't understand how they're just the business model behind that confuses me how are they selling the ad space but they're they're only getting paid when a user clicks on a tab I don't know that that just confuses me um, my last question is I I don't know if there are any safeguards in place to so here's an example if you use eBay is Mozilla going to add a second eBay tab that is separate from the first one and it says, oh, here's your normal eBay tab and here's the sponsored one? Or are they going to replace your eBay tab with the sponsored one so they get paid? They, they didn't really specify that. Either way, uh, this is an opt-out feature. I don't think anyone should use this personally. Like, I'm sorry, I, I I value Firefox and I value the competition of, like, having different browser engines out there. And I understand that Mozilla needs to get paid, but I don't think this was a good call. That's just my personal opinion. But, I don't know, you guys can check it out and if you like it, then, hey, go for it. All right, we have one more Mozilla story. Mozilla is launching... Uh, I wrote in the notes here, I said in this week's edition of WTF Mozilla, Mozilla is launching a data sharing plugin called Rally, and it's designed to allow users to share their browsing data with, quote, computer scientists and sociologists studying the web, unquote. So for example, the first study is going to be from Princeton University, and they're trying to find out how people, quote, find, consume, and share news about politics in COVID-19, unquote. Stanford has also expressed an interest in examining the economics needed for a more sustainable news landscape aka getting rid of paywalls this seems to be an attempt by mozilla to monetize again um i'm just i'm not going to comment on that one the good news is that for the moment this this one appears to be opt-in you have to like download the plug but uh henry did note here in the notes that Uh, Firefox, by default, does conduct experiments. Uh, If you want to disable the experiments, that should be under um, privacy and security, and toward the bottom, it would be Firefox data collection and use, and you can just uncheck everything there. All right, last but not least, let's roll into our misfits section. This is not really a privacy and security story, per se but it does concern the founder of antivirus, which ties into cybersecurity. So we're gonna go ahead and talk about it. And if you haven't gathered by now, we are talking about John McAfee, who just a couple days ago was found dead in a prison cell in Barcelona. It is at this time believed to be a suicide by hanging, although there is an investigation ongoing. His death came just hours after the Spanish court had agreed to extradite him to the US for tax evasion charges. Personal opinion, I know this looks suspicious on the surface. Honestly, I don't think this was a hit. And just to kind of give you context of where I fall on the conspiracy meter, I I I'm on the fence about Epstein. There was some real fishy stuff about that one that I have questions about. I think that one might have been a hit. I don't think this one was. If you read about John McAfee, he was very eccentric. And and if we're being honest, I don't know if I would say the guy was emotionally stable. I mean, I didn't know him personally. This is just the impression that I get from reading about his life. He could have appealed the the extradition, but honestly, the odds did not look like they were in his favor. And he didn't seem like the type of person who was willing to spend the rest of his life in jail. And that's really what he was looking at. He was, I believe the article said like 70. He was getting up there in years. And if he got convicted of this tax evasion stuff, he would have spent the rest of his life in jail. And he definitely would have got convicted because he openly admitted on multiple occasions that he hasn't paid taxes in years because he has beef with the U.S. government, which, personal opinion, I kind of respect him for that level of resolve. But anyways, I, I think, honestly, he just wanted to go out on his own terms. I, I really think this was a suicide, and he just didn't want to spend the rest of his life in jail. He knew that he probably wasn't going to be able to get out of this one, and he wanted to go out on his terms. So um, that's my opinion. And I, I know some people will vehemently disagree with me, and I if it hasn't been tied back to the Clintons yet, I'm sure it will be by the time... We published this. Just throwing it out there. I I know this isn't directly related, but like, I'll be open. I struggle with depression. If you struggle with depression, please get help. It's it, it can get better. That is my personal belief from experience. All right, a real quick story. The U.S. state of Massachusetts automatically installed a new COVID tracker on Android phones without consent. It should be noted, last year, both Google and Apple rolled out the ability for devices to work with contact tracing apps, but there were a couple of caveats. Number one, you had to opt in. Uh, Surprisingly, both of these were opt in. And number two, you had to download an app. They didn't just work by themselves. There was an app that had to be downloaded. This was beyond that because the app was forcibly pushed onto people's phones. So moral of the story, honestly, unfortunately, most devices are not really yours. You know, if it's Windows, Mac, uh, iOS, Android, it's not yours. If if you're technically ca- uh, competent, consider flashing a custom ROM like Calyx or Lineage or buy a Pine phone or maybe a Librem if that's more your thing. Just get a device that's actually yours that you own and you have that control over. So, I mean, even though Apple didn't do this, they could have done this. I, I remember a few years ago, Apple forcibly pushed U2's new album into everybody's iTunes library. And this is before I was even into privacy and I still felt pissed. Like I compared it to... Imagine if Bono had broken into my house and left his album on my nightstand and left. Like, that's what it felt like to me. And, you know, of course, people were like, you're reacting, you're overreacting. It's a free album, just don't listen to it. It's like, but that's not the point. It's my phone. Why are they messing with my phone? Moral of the story your device is not yours. All right, our next story is a little worrisome. Sony has won an order to block pirate sites on Quad9. So, Sony has an injunction that requires Quad9 to block popular pirating websites. That's probably how I should have said this. Their argument is basically like, well, Quad9 already blocks stuff. Like, they, they advertise it. Um, let me backtrack a little bit. Quad9 is a uh, third-party DNS resolver, for those who don't know. So if you want a little bit more privacy and you don't want to use your ISP's uh, DNS or you don't want to use your browser's DNS, you can use other DNS's. And Quad9 is a really popular one. Uh, they just moved to Switzerland, actually. I think we covered that. Anyways. Yeah, Sony is saying, well, you already block websites, you make it a selling point, what's what's the difference? And Quad9 is like, yeah, we block malware and phishing and trackers, like this is totally different. So Quad9 definitely plans to appeal this. All right, our last story this week, we're gonna talk about Western Digital. Western Digital sells MyBook Live, which is an internet connected external hard drive. First question, why? Anyways. The company is investigating quote, unexplained compromises that have completely wiped data from devices around the world. So people are waking up and finding out that their stuff is just gone. And so far, nobody has been able to, nobody has reported being able to recover any of that stuff. So moral of the story, air-gapped things are valuable. You know, my, uh, my backup drive is never connected unless I'm like actively backing something up to it. Sometimes uh, not having something connected is better. Okay, and that was all of our stories this week. Man, that didn't feel like a lot until I started reading them all, but anyways. I want to remind you again that Surveillance Report is community supported. We have various support methods. We have Patreon, Monero, a merch store. We also have free ways, you know, spreading the word, joining the conversation, all kinds of stuff. And this kind of support is what allows us to stay ad free and free from commercial influence. So I highly encourage you to go check those out. I want to thank you again for listening to the Surveillance Report and we're happy to know that you're trying to stay safe out there. Once again, Henry should be back with us next week. Final thing we want to ask of you, share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a rating. If you're listening somewhere else, go ahead and share us around. You know, copy the link, send it to your friend, be like, hey man, check this out. But anyways, you know, we're trying to reach as many people as possible, and by subscribing and rating and sharing, all that kind of stuff, that's what moves us up in the algorithms, moves us up in the ratings, and helps us reach more people. So. Again, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, and we will see you next week.